Welcome to Draft Deeper on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. Thank you so much for joining me on this wonderful Monday morning edition of the program. My name is Nathan Grubel. I am the founder of Draft Deeper and the main host of this podcast. I'm alone on this one. I'm doing a little solo pod, a throwback to what I used to do on the Draft Deeper podcast feed back in the day. Nonetheless, Maxwell Baumbach is alive, okay, and well. He is hanging out with his wife, enjoying some quality time with the family. Yet me being the sicko that I am, I'm here grinding away at some NBA Summer League tape, enjoying the wrapping up of the last few days of the event. We are recording this episode Sunday afternoon, so the championship game on Monday night has not been played yet, nor do I know the result of the semifinal games. But that did not stop me from doing the work behind the scenes and having my all-NBA Las Vegas Summer League teams ready to go and publish Monday morning for NoSillingsNBA.com. So essentially what this podcast is, it's very similar to how my written piece is structured. I want to go through my all-Las Vegas NBA Summer League teams, first, second, and third teams. I'll throw out some honorable mentions as well, some guys who didn't necessarily make the cut but certainly deserve to be shouted out on this podcast episode as well as within my article. On NoSillingsNBA.com, make sure to check it out. It's free 99. And I just want to go through some of my reactions to some top performers during this summer league stretch. So essentially, how did I go about ranking my all-NBA summer league first, second, third teams? Well, obviously, I wanted to reward some top performers who not only hit a certain bar statistically in terms of overall output, but also in terms of efficiency. I wanted to factor in team performance as well. And... I wanted to try to give these spots to people who played three or more games for the Las Vegas Summer League, right? It's very easy for us to look at some guys who only played in one or two games and they did really well. They shut it down, but they were the quote unquote too cool for Summer League group. They weren't necessarily meant to be here in the first place. They just wanted their team just wanted to see them get some run. Maybe they're working on polishing or developing a few new skills, adding some new tricks to the bag. But I really wanted to reward the guys who had to play in more games and therefore were able to show a little bit more. And especially when it comes to sustaining efficiency over the course of this event, I mean, listen, summer league basketball, it's up and down, right? A lot of people are saying it's not real competition. All of these guys out here are definite NBA caliber players, which is true to a certain extent, but the competition level, in my opinion, is still up there because these guys are trying to earn jobs, right? They're trying to earn contracts. And that's really what NBA Summer League is all about. It's a developmental playground. It's a chance for guys to polish some skills, work on some new things, add some new skills into their game, as well as a chance for guys who have either been out of the NBA, they're trying to come back into the NBA, or even some undrafted guys trying to earn a potential two-way contract, even earn like an Exhibit 10 to try and showcase an NBA team. Here's what I can do on the floor. This is why I might be deserving of a job. It's used for a variety of different things, but one thing is clear. If you're able to produce in this setting, it doesn't necessarily mean everything, but I also don't think it's nothing, right? I do want to reward these guys who have not only produced, but who have produced effectively. So that's really the the scoring in which I wanted to break down my all-NBA Summer League first, second, and third team. So we're going to dive into it here. We're going to start with my all-Las Vegas NBA Summer League first team. And I know he didn't play in five games. I know his time in this event is done, although it could still be going because he's with the Utah Jazz and the Jazz are at this current moment in time trying to contend for a summer league championship. But the guy who I would give an MVP award to, the player who certainly impressed me the most over a number of games 
was Keontae George with the Utah Jazz. And, and even though it was only three games, what he did in those three games from an offense standpoint was truly remarkable, right? He was in complete control of the full of, of the flow of the game from start to finish, right? Not just from a scoring perspective. We saw multiple awesome assist games from Keontae George and Summerlee. We saw a 10 assist outing in his first game in Vegas. We saw another seven assist performance. So it's not just the scoring in which he did average 21.7 points per game on 52.3% shooting from the field. It was also what he did from a passing standpoint, you know, getting some reps as the true lead guard for this Jazz team. And I think if you talk to scouts before the draft, everyone would essentially tell you Keontae George's upside is not necessarily as the sixth man type Jordan Clarkson type scorer off the bench, but it is as a team's point guard, right? Operating sets in the same way, maybe off of another big man or a bigger forward, a two-man game, similar to Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic in Denver, right? I think his upside to a lot of people was maybe he can play this Jamal Murray type role to where he is a score first guard, but he's able to do enough out of some of these actions in which he's working with somebody else in the pick and roll, especially operating, you know, coming off some screens, some DHOs. Maybe he can serve as a facilitator in that form or fashion, albeit from a traditional, I'm going to command the ball, high usage, every single set down the floor. I'm going to initiate all of the offense and I'm going to consistently lift the floor of all of my teammates versus I'm going to try and do my best to create the best shot for me. But if that's not there, let me make the additional correct read and try and find somebody else off of that set and make someone else better in that particular situation. And I think Keontae George showcased a little bit of everything offensively for the Utah Jazz, which I wasn't necessarily expecting to see in summer league. I imagine that he would get some first team reps, right? Like, like as a traditional point guard, they were going to try to feed him the ball, have him work out of a lot of pick and roll and see what he could do from that facilitator standpoint. But he was in full command. He consistently made the right decisions. He didn't force shots. He didn't force bad passes. I think the placement on a lot of his passes was great. The timing on a lot of his dishes was excellent. So it was really this command. We knew he was going to be a shot maker, right? We knew he was going to come in he had more to his game than he could show at Baylor in terms of finishing around the basket. We know he's very comfortable as a mid-range pull-up scorer. Obviously, he's going to come in and, and shoot the cover off of it from three when he has open spot-up looks. But what he did off the dribble, what he did working out of pick and roll, some of the step-back shots he took, any time a defender went under a screen or didn't play him appropriately in one of those sets, he was not afraid to let it fly. And he did so with confidence, and he made a lot more of those shots than he missed. He shot... 44.4% from three-point range during the event on really high volume. So you could see what Keontae George looked like in this particular summer league setting, but just imagine what he could look like when he has another quality partner to work off of offensively, right? Lowry Markinen was the NBA's most improved player, certainly took an, an all-star level leap. In his production, you would expect to see that next year with the Utah Jazz. Walker Kessler was one of the most underrated players in his draft class, was certainly on a ballot to be a potential rookie of the year. I would imagine he's going to be a standout performer as a sophomore. You bring in John Collins, newly acquired John Collins, who is someone who Keontae George could also work off of offensively as well. I get that he may not be the team's first choice to start at one of those guard spots, but it's going to be increasingly difficult to keep him off the floor and not have him in the starting lineup if this is the type of player that he's going to be. He's someone who's keeping himself motivated. Everyone got really excited when they saw the lock screen images on his phone about all the different things that scouts said he couldn't do 
was the list of bullet points that he has on his phone, on his locker room to remind himself every minute of every day, this is the type of player I know that I can be if I work on these things and show that I can do them at a higher level. And now that we've seen Keontae George take that approach into summer league and, and blow everyone's doors off and really produce, whether it was the Utah summer league, whether it was in Las Vegas, no matter where he was, he produced at a high level consistently. And I think it was at a level in which I didn't expect to see him perform at in summer league, which is why I would give Keontae George the nod as my quote unquote MVP. If I were selecting something like that on this ballot, I didn't list an official summer league MVP because I'm, I'm putting this content out before the conclusion of the event, normally we would give an MVP type of award to the best player on the team that wins the championship. I don't know that result yet, which is why I can't definitively give that award to him. But if I were just picking out of the field across all who have performed up to this point in summer league, Keontae George was the player who impressed me the most, although not far behind him were two exceptions that I really wanted to make here. I know I said I was targeting players who played in at least three or more games during the Las Vegas Summer League to include on these teams. But Jabari Smith and then Tari Eason, who I'll get to in a second off the Houston Rockets, regardless of what metrics I were using, they also blew the doors off of Summer League competition. And, and rightfully so, they need to be mentioned very high in this exercise, which is why both of them made my all-Vegas Summer League first team. And we can start with Jabari Smith, who only played in two games, like I said, but in those two games, 35.5 points per game, seven rebounds, four assists, one block, 48.8% from the field, 33.3% from three-point range, and 85.2% from the free-throw line. He was getting to the line at a prolific rate in summer league. And that's really where the biggest jump in his game came, was him handling off the dribble, right, using the type of shooting gravity that he has either from three-point range, whether he's popping off of screens, whether they come off of certain actions and getting touches around the elbow, using that pull-up shooting gravity to create opportunities to drive at the basket himself or dump it off to someone else who was open if defenders came to crowded space and shut off some of those driving lanes, which isn't incredibly hard to do because he's still not the most proficient ball handler we can see from somebody who's playing like that bigger wing position in the NBA. But he has certainly gotten much more confident with his command over his dribble. He's taken the steps necessary to improve driving at better angles and creating opportunities for himself to even have looks at the basket or to have some of those passing windows that he had at Summer League. And he took full advantage of those, averaging four assists per game over those two contests. That was one of the bigger things that really stood out to me, especially in the Houston Rockets' second game against the Detroit Pistons, was how willing of a passer he was and how much offense you could truly run through Jabari Smith, right? Like, so going into his rookie year, he was billed as a spot up shooter, someone who will space the floor for you. He'll knock down open jump shots. He certainly has defensive value as a multi-positional defender, secondary rim protector. He offers value on the back line, but we saw very murky results from the spot up shooting. So the, the defense was, was certainly, you know, hit or miss at times during his rookie year, but I'd say certainly for the most part, it was, it was better than I think a lot of people would lead you to believe. A lot of Houston Rockets fans might lead you to believe. I actually thought the defense was fine and was good at times for the position and then the role that he played, but the spot up shooting was obviously very hit or miss, incredibly spotty throughout the course of the regular season, certainly up and down and turbulent, but it wasn't that we saw the, these major, major improvements from a spot of efficiency standpoint during these two summer league games. It was everything else that we saw, right? The confident rim finishing, the ability to actually get to the basket and create shots 
in the paint, the ability to drive and kick. And then we saw a lot of his defensive effectiveness come to light, maybe not in, in the counting stats realm, like his partner Tari Eason, which is how I'll get to him in a second. But the overall activity, the awareness, the high feel, the confidence, it all came to life for Jabari Smith during these summer league games, which is why I feel that I had to reward him with the spot here. Regardless of only playing in two games, Jabari Smith was one of the best players in Las Vegas, and so was Tari Eason, right? So Tari Eason in two games, 23 points per game, nine and a half rebounds, four assists, 48.7% from the field, 36.4% from three-point range, and, and only 57% from the line, which I've got to be honest, I was a little surprised to see some of these free throw statistics for some of these players who I know can shoot at a 75% or better clip from the line, yet for some reason they struggled shooting free throws in, in summer league. Malachi Branham was, was in my honorable mentions. He also struggled from the free throw line, which I thought was a little funny, but nevertheless, regardless of some spotty shooting, Tari Eason, you can see from that stat line, incredibly effective across the board. And then when you throw in his steal per game and his three blocks per game and two, so he had six blocks in two games. You can just see how impactful he was on both sides of the ball for this Rockets team. And there really, there's little he can't do on a basketball court. And there was little that he didn't do on the floor for Houston, especially during these two summer league games, right? Like his, his game is tailor-made, you know, catch and drive. I'm going to put pressure on the rim and I'm going to be able to make these quick decisions, whether I'm getting all the way to the basket, whether I'm, I'm stopping and going to a little floater game, whether I'm dishing it to someone else, whether I'm coming off of this DHO able to catch and quick drive to the basket, whether I'm able to catch and shoot from the corners, or obviously leaking out in transition is one of the best transition scorers that we have. In my opinion, he's going to be one of the best transition scorers we have across the NBA in his second season, right? That That is how strong he was of a transition scorer at LSU. And I expect those results to continue to deliver. Obviously, we saw some of the highlight plays he had last summer league during his rookie year with the Houston Rockets. And then that transition game is something he's going to continue to excel at. But really, how effective he was in the half court offensively across these two games was definitely something to see. For Tari Eason, again, being a confident three-point shooter, being someone who's confidently spotting up, who's pulling up from the mid-range, who's getting to a floater. Obviously, we know how incredibly impactful he is as a finisher. His energy rebounding the ball on both sides was incredibly infectious. And just him being able to win extra possessions for his team. We hear a lot of people talk about that in the NBA, in the basketball space, right? The game of basketball is about winning possessions, creating extra possessions, and finding opportunities to ultimately convert on those extra possessions created. Tari Eason can rebound the ball offensively, right? He can play passing lanes. He's got to cut down on the gambling a little bit. That's something that we certainly talked about with his evaluation who's coming out of college. He's still trying to, to better time when he needs to gamble or when he needs to sit back a little bit defensively, but still, he's able to, like I said, rebound the ball offensively. He's able to create those extra possessions, playing passing lanes, you know, getting blocks to keep the ball in play, you know, pushing the ball in transition. He's able to do those little things for you to give your team an, an added chance to score on the other end, right? And and he's certainly someone who is difficult to score over if he's guarding you one-on-one. -on -one. And just the, the level in which he's not only played at over this full season in the NBA and now during these two summer league runs that mirrored the production that he put up at LSU, it's just the fact that he, he is producing at that same level, right? He was one of the rookies to actually have an above league average PER, during his year, but now it seems like he's taking that to another level already just before his sophomore season in the NBA, right? Some people thought that 
maybe he would struggle to shoot a little bit more from, from the outside. And it would take multiple years for him to get to an average point as a three-point shooter on, on lower to decent volume. Well, it seems like he's going to take a leap sooner than anticipated from a shooting perspective. We, we know how impactful of a defender he can be. He's improving as a rim finisher, especially in traffic. So the level and the rate at which he's improving as a player, it's going to be incredibly difficult for the Rockets to keep him off the floor, right? I don't anticipate him getting a starting spot. We know they signed Dylan Brooks to that high-level contract. We know that Jabari Smith, given the improvements that he's shown, he was already the starting four last year. I don't I don't think he's done anything to lose that job. I think he's going to be the starting power forward for the Houston Rockets this year. But Tari Eason is going to be one of the first guys they bring off the bench. And if he's able to continue producing at the level he did last year while building upon that performance, it would not shock me if you see Tari Eason in the running for like a, a potential sixth man of the year spot. I did not look up the odds. I don't know what that type of bet is across your, your betting platform of choice. But if I were just making a, a quick pick as to who could potentially be in the sixth man of the year race, who's not a traditional name like a Jordan Clarkson, for example, that we always talk about preseason when these award conversations come up. I might throw Tari Eason's name into that type of pack because I think he's been that impressive, and I think he's only going to continue to get better as his career progresses. So Tari Eason also lands on this first team. To round out the first team, all Las Vegas NBA Summer League off my ballot are two other big men. So Chet Holmgren makes this spot right off of the Oklahoma City Thunder Averaged over two games, 20 and a half points per game, nine and a half rebounds, two and a half assists, a steal a game, three and a half blocks, 56% from the field. Did not shoot the ball well from three point range, only 17%, but did shoot 75% from the line. And again, just, just evaluating his jumper, even going back to last summer league, his time at Gonzaga. I'm not concerned about the jump shot at all. I think he's going to be just fine from a shooting standpoint, both from the elbows as well as, you know, above the break for three point range. I think he's going to be just fine, but he's not just on the floor as a floor spacer. He's an incredibly impactful finisher around the basket. He did shoot a good percentage during this summer league run, improved as a finisher, especially in the second game when he had 25 points. But really, it's the defense with Chet Holmgren that we talked about before he was coming into the NBA as a draft pick and now certainly in this summer league stretch in particular, as well as even dating back to last summer league, how impactful he is as a rim protector, as a deterrer, and then overall as a playmaker, as a shot blocker on that side of the ball is truly impressive. And in that in that game that I was referencing, the 25.9 rebound performance against the Indiana Pacers, it wasn't just that he was bullying a lot of other guards and blocking their shots, right? Because he has elite timing, elite anticipation when he's going up for a shot block. He doesn't fall for a lot of fakes or moves around the basket where opponents are able to easily draw fouls on him, right? He, he is lanky. He is not the most filled out center that we're going to have in the NBA, but because of how technically sound he is as a defender around the basket, he doesn't fall for a lot of these cute little tricks that a lot of these other guards and wings like to deploy in order to draw fouls to, to get to the line. He doesn't fall for a lot of that crap but at the same time, it's not like those are the only types of blocks he was racking up. I mean, he had some some vicious swats. Where you, you saw the highlights pop up on social media like Jairus Walker, right? Someone who is clearly much bigger, much more physical than Chet is, not from a height standpoint, but from a build standpoint, is someone who should be able to push Chet off of his spots. And yet 
even when Chet's met with some contact or he's not in the, the cleanest position to get a block shot, he recognizes when he needs to rotate, how he needs to get to a certain spot. And then again, his timing and anticipation when actually going up to block that shot, it, it's second to none in the NBA. This guy's going to be a legitimate defensive anchor for the Oklahoma City Thunder. He is the guy that this team needs. They do still, in my opinion, need to add some form of other type of bulk slash size to this front line at some point. I know they have Jalen Williams, but he's not like a traditional seven-footer with some good size to him. They need someone else around Chet to be able to sub in and, and take the, the 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 brute force of some of these other big men matchups that we can see across the NBA. They need someone next to him. But in terms of playing the center position long-term, he continues to show that he's going to be the answer for this Thunder team. He's going to play a ton of center this year. I think the organization believes that he is the long-term center for the future and just the results that we've seen, right? So offensively, I get that he was a little clumsy trying to, to pick apart defenses and create something in the half court off the bounce at times. He lost his balance. He does still need to put on some, some strength, some weight. All of that's fine, right? But we've seen the shooting touch. We have seen he can get to the basket at times, or he can make the right read. He is a, a very underrated passer, has excellent vision for his position. He plays the game for the most part in control. He will be able to space the floor. He's a lob threat. He's someone who can grab a rebound, push the ball in transition, and either make the right decision with it, or he can he can stop, pop, hit a jump shot. He can get all the way to the basket. There's so many different things he can do on the floor, and I haven't even mentioned anything about how you can use him in a screen and roll or, or a DHO game, right? He, he is someone who understands how to screen, how to position his screens, how to pop off, when to pop off, when to roll, how to operate out of a short roll from a passing perspective. There's so many ways in which you can use Chet Holmgren offensively. And the best part about all of it is that he's going to be the team's at best, like fourth option offensively. So he's going to have room to be able to experiment. But even if he's not able to do some things on the floor that they want him to experiment with, it's not going to be the end of the world, right? It, it's not going to kill them long-term. So they still have plenty of other options on the floor to operate offensively. So Chet Holmberg gets that nod for me. And then Orlando Robinson with the Miami Heat. There are a number of undrafted free agents who stood out tremendously at Summer League. They're, they're in these, these award ballot teams, or they're certainly in my honorable mentions. But Orlando Robinson absolutely scored at a prolific rate for the Miami Heat in Summer League. 25 points per game, 9.3 rebounds, 3 assists, a steal per game, 55% from the floor, 33% from three-point range was a part of his game. He he really didn't even attempt any threes, I, I don't think, during his rookie year with the Miami Heat last year. But he is someone who was seen as a potential floor spacer at Fresno State. That was the appeal of potentially drafting him in the second round was if he believed in his jump shot. He's working on it. He was able to knock some down out here in Las Vegas, and then he shot 81.8% from the free throw line on a decent amount of attempts. So that touch, he's working on that outside shot. I think it's going to be a weapon for him. But even though it wasn't a prolific weapon for him out in Las Vegas, the shots that he was starting to create off the bounce, the mid-range pull-ups, how he was positioning himself around the basket, how he was finding opportunities to get easy dump-off passes, easy offensive rebounding opportunities, and overall just easy finishes around the basket – he the, the way that he operates on the floor, Miami just needs another center like him 
on the roster outside of Bam Adebayo, right? Someone who's able to generate easy scoring opportunities, someone who can operate away from the basket, right? You can have him work out of some screening sets. I, I love the passing vision that he was able to flash out of the high post uh, in summer league here. What Orlando Robinson proved is that he is worthy of a rotation spot in the NBA. He's going to give you some size and strength up front. He's not the, the, the biggest or bulkiest guy, on the floor, but he does give you some more size for that position. Again, the ability to space the floor in time, or at least certainly knock down mid-range shots, the number of ways that you can use him offensively as a big man. He's not just your traditional post-up big man, although he did do some work out of the post in, in Vegas as well as last year as well. So an undrafted free agent who's found a home with Miami, who I think is going to get some good opportunity and someone who produced at an excellent level in summer league all right so we're going to take a quick break when we come back i'm going to run through my my all las vegas nba summer league second team all right and i am back so all nba las vegas summer league second team First guy I have on here. And by the way, my ballots, I didn't rank players within these teams. So th there is no ranking, right? Just because Orlando Robinson was last doesn't mean he's quote unquote last on the first team. So there is no ranking within teams as well as when I run through some honorable mentions. I don't have those players ranked in that section either. So first guy I had on my second team would be Kenneth Lofton Jr. for the Memphis Grizzlies. He played in four games, 18.3 points per game, six and a half rebounds, 1.8 assists, two 2.0 steals per game, 1.3 blocks. So he was racking up both steals and blocks for the Grizzlies, 51% from the field, 46.7% for three-point range, and 67% from the line. Listen, I, I was listening to a, a really good True Who podcast the other day, and Coach David Thorpe was raving uh, about Kenneth Lofton Jr. on that pod and, and talking about the type of talent that Lofton Jr. has. And I, I agree wholeheartedly with coach Thorpe. He is one of the more talented basketball players that, that you will be able to watch, whether he's again, spending more time with the Memphis hustle in the G league going into next year, whether he's able to actually carve out a role with the Memphis Grizzlies, or if you're just watching back the tape from this Las Vegas summer league, his talent is off the charts. He's able to take guys off the bounce. He can obviously post up, finish around the basket. He's gotten very comfortable at hitting above the break shots or, or stepping just inside the line towards the free throw line and, and knocking down some jumpers in transition. He's able to create off the bounce, not just for himself, but for other teammates. I, I really buy into a lot of the passing vision. He's no, he's not going to be the best one-on-one -on -one defender either in the post because of his lack of size from a height standpoint or on the perimeter, you don't want him consistently switching out and, and, and guarding against opposing backcourt players who are going to be able to easily get around him on the perimeter. But he does anticipate really well. He he plays within a, a team-style defense in which he can sort of sit back, roam, play passing lanes, rotate, help. He can make plays on the ball. He's got great hands. He's got quicker feet than anticipated. He has excellent touch on his jump shot, that is a real weapon for him, whether he's fading out of the post or, again, he's knocking down one of those jump shots off the bounce or, or stepping into something off transition looks. There are just so many things that Kenneth Lofton Jr. can do on the court with or without the ball in his hands to where I don't care how unconventional the production may look, right? And this is something that I, I have this as a quick nugget 
in my written piece as well, but it's something I just want to say on a podcast. I think I've talked about it a little bit on Draft Deeper with Maxwell and, and Steven, but I've learned an important lesson in talent evaluation, right? It, it keeps coming up more often than not. And sometimes we, we fail to see talent because as scouts, we want to put it into a box and compare it to what we've already seen, right? Comps are a big thing in the scouting space. If you can't make a comp, then why should we trust the production that it can actually translate to the NBA level? I understand that sentiment, but sometimes there are these really unique players that end up working out more than anticipated. Like, I know that this is a a very out-of-the-box player to to mention with a guy like Kenneth Lofton Jr., but like Zion Williamson once upon a time and someone who was seen as very unconventional, right? And we didn't think that that he would fully translate in terms of his dominance and production to the NBA for, for a variety of factors. And I get that he hasn't necessarily been on the floor, but when he's been on an NBA floor playing in games, his production has been through the roof, right? His, his unorthodox nature, his Charles Barkley type of comparison, that has worked for him in spades, and he's been one of the most productive players we have. Uh, Kenneth Lofton Jr. is another one of these guys who he, he's a little bit out of the box because of his stature, right? He, he's, a, he's a big guy. He's not viewed as someone who should have as quick of feet or, ha- or, or move as fleet of foot as he does on the floor, and yet he's able to operate in some of these different schemes and able to do these different things on the floor, right? He is, he is an out-of-the-box, unique type of player who is carried by his really high feel for the game and the amount of skills and touch that he has in a variety of different areas. And so just because the production or player is unconventional doesn't mean we shouldn't trust or believe that it can work in the league, right? Especially, like I said, if the driving force behind that is product behind the production is a high level feel for the game and a diverse skills package. Thought that was really important to, to mention for a second time here. So yes, he does need to continue to work on his body and make sure he's positioned physically to excel in the NBA, but don't write him off just because he doesn't fit into a more traditional positional archetype. And another guy I think who's going to certainly perform above expectations, someone who I wanted to grade out highly in this draft class is Bryce Sensible. He's another guy who's certainly out of the box. He's got a weird body for his position in terms of like an off-ball wing, 6'6", 235 pounds. But his shooting touch, how he's able to score the basketball in a variety of ways, how he's improving as a passer off of a live dribble and how I think he can at least stand pat from a team defensive standpoint. I get it. He's unusual. He's unconventional, but these, these unique types of players that sometimes we just want to look past them because of what we don't see them do, or, or they don't look or play a certain way. If the production is there, generally these guys are translating more often than, than not. So Kenneth Lofton Jr. Certainly makes this, and I would certainly watch out for him to make a possible impact with the Memphis Grizzlies next season. Javon Freeman Liberty for the Chicago Bulls. I don't need to to write a ton home about Freeman Liberty because I don't think he's going to be one of these breakout summer league stars who is also holding on to this like top seven, top eight rotation role in the NBA. But he is worth a call out because he played in five games. He was on an absolute heater, 21.2 points per game, 4.6 rebounds, 4.4 assists per game. 49% 49% from the field, 46 from three, 77% from the line. He's not a traditional playmaker. He's not a traditional point guard. He is very much so a combo guard, but he was able to leverage a lot of his scoring slash shooting gravity into playmaking and distribution opportunities for this Bulls team. It's why he was able to handle the ball a lot for them, splitting some reps in the half court or in transition 
opportunities along with someone like a Dale and Terry, for example, on this team. Freeman Liberty was the captain of this offense. He was the primary shot maker, and he did help the Chicago Bulls rack up quite a number of wins here in Las Vegas. And he's just a player, again, I, I wanted to call him out. Not that I see him as this, this otherworldly potential NBA standout of like this top seven, top eight rotation player, but he's he's very smart. He's crafty. He knows the type of shots that he wants to get. He knows the types of spots that he wants to get to on the floor. He knows how to get to those spots. And then he knows how to use his gravity to open up opportunities, not just for himself, but for other players. And I do think if you are a guard who's looking to have success in the NBA or come up and, and maybe take over a rotation spot in the NBA, maybe look at someone like a, like a Freeman livery and evaluate his tape and look at some of the things that he was able to do on the floor and maybe implement some of that into your game. One of these craftier guards who he just knows who he is and he knows how to get the job done. Max Christie for the Los Angeles Lakers. This guy, however, was a revelation in, in Las Vegas Summer League, and really even going back to the California Classic, he also shot the absolute cover off of the ball out in California during that Summer League as well. But Max Christie has been an absolute stud. And in three games at Vegas, 19 points per game, 6.3 rebounds, 3.7 assists, 2.3 blocks per game was not a number I, I think I expected to see, but... 45.7% from the field, 50% from three-point range, 100% from the free throw line. Did not miss a free throw. I thought he averaged about six free throws in per game in summer league as well. So the touch has been absolutely absurd. He's grown in his comfort level as not just a spot-up and a transition guy, which is exclusively what he was for the Los Angeles Lakers when he got some playing time last year and did not do a ton more past that. With, with South Bay, with, with the G League team, but in getting more opportunity this summer to showcase, hey, I got a little more in my bag than just being a spot-up guy or someone who can attack you know, the rim off of a line drive. I can play out of pick and roll. I have a little bit of that craft. I, I know how to utilize a, a screener and, and, and utilize how the defense is playing me to create a look for somebody else. I'm very capable in pull-up scoring, right? I can create my own shot off the bounce. I can come off of screens. I can work out of these different actions. I can handle the ball for you and make something happen if you give me the opportunity. That's what Max Christie was able to show in summer league that really stood out to me. It wasn't necessarily just any of the defensive stuff and some and some minor improvements there compared to what I saw reviewing the tape last year for the Lakers as well as the, the G League squad. But that comfort level operating off the bounce for a 6-6 wing with, with his size, with his athleticism, with his length. That's something the Lakers are going to need more of on this roster. They're looking to contend for a championship. One of the best ways to contend for a championship is securing your standing in the regular season, getting a good seed in the playoffs, avoiding the play-in, and avoid having to add more games onto what LeBron James and Anthony Davis have potentially overcome to get to a championship. And when you talk about winning in the regular season, it's not just the star power. It's also having quality depth down the bench for when guys get hurt, for when you just need to go to somebody else. Somebody's really off from a shooting standpoint. You want to go down down the bench and, and bring someone else in and try and find a spark, right, to, to give this team some life and some games they're trying to win. Max Christie can be that guy. And if he's given that opportunity to excel in that type of role, who knows? Maybe he's playing much more of an extended role than initially envisioned, Kind of not, not same. I don't. I don't think he's going to have like an Austin Reeves type of breakout, but maybe similar to to what Austin Reeves was able to show for the Lakers and, and doing a little bit more than the team initially anticipated. Maybe he can have 
that type of breakout off the bench or, or a similar type of breakout, I should say, off the bench for the Lakers coming up. That's how impressive he was across Vegas Summer League. Hunter Tyson is another guy who I wanted to give a shout out to. And he, it's not that he was doing the same types of things on the court as like a Max Christie was, but he was also impressive in himself because of the efficiency that he scored and, and most importantly shot the ball with, right? So he played in, in five games as I'm recording this podcast for the Denver Nuggets, 20.8 points per game, six rebounds, 1.8 assists, 54% from the field, 50% from three-point range and 87% from the line. Efficiency doesn't even do Hunter Tyson's game justice in terms of what he was able to accomplish in summer league. Look, the dude just flat knows how to play the game without the ball in his hands, right? That was clear when you reviewed the tape of Clemson. He showed a lot of that at the Portsmouth Invitational with his lights out shooting, played really well at the NBA Draft Combine. He really operated for this Nuggets summer league team like the best of a Duncan Robinson or a Steve Novak, right? His shooting gravity opened up so much consistently for himself as well as his teammates. And when he was able to get those corner shots or clear lanes to the basket, he took advantage and he converted on those looks, right? So he is one of these wings who it's not like we're talking about a, a really good spot up shooter, only like 6'5 or 6'6. Six, six, six. Hunter Tyson's like six foot eight, six foot nine. So being a larger wing definitely helps him in these situations, right? He, he doesn't get bumped off of his spots, right? You can't ignore him from a size and a strength perspective. So you're not going to be able to take advantage of him defensively, and you're not going to be able to keep him from getting his shot off or when he's able to get to a spot on the floor, he's able to draw that contact and either get to the line or ultimately finish through some of that contact because he is an experienced player. He's had you know, what, four or five years in college to be able to add a good amount of strength and, and bulk to his body. So he was an underappreciated player at Clemson last year, likely because of his age. A lot of people didn't see this type of draft breakout coming for him, right? I don't, I don't know how many scouts anticipated him being taken in the 30s on, on draft night, but yeah, he'll enter into his rookie year as an older guy, but he looks ready to come in and play immediately from day one. And I think that was the mission that the Denver Nuggets were looking to be able to accomplish on draft night. They were looking for older guys who could come in and play a specific role if they were called upon right out of the gate from day one. Hunter Tyson, Jalen Pickett, who I have as an honorable mention, Julian Strother, who I don't have written down as an honorable mention. I, I thought that he certainly bounced back later in summer league and, and could have absolutely been on an honorable mention list because of the amount of points he was able to put up and the type of shooting run he went on late in summer league. But all three of those guys, I think are going to be able to come in and contribute from day one. And, and you see how an off-ball threat like a Christian Brown can come in and play alongside Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. Christian Brown is, is a good basketball player. He was someone who I also felt was underappreciated. He was coming out in the draft. But Hunter Tyson is a significantly better shooter. I mean, I can't even call Christian Brown a shooter. He's just a really smart basketball player, really timely cutter, good finisher, you know, really effective leaping off two feet, finishing around the basket. He can make decisions off of the live dribble, but he's not a shooter, right? He's not able to relocate and, and come back to a shot and, and knock something down off the bounce quite like a Hunter Tyson can. So I can only imagine the types of shots that he's going to be able to make working off of either Nikola Jokic or Jamal Murray, or even the both of them in a little bit of two-man game that they'd like to run out in Denver. And then the final guy on my, my all Las Vegas NBA Summer League second team would be Sam Merrill of the Cleveland Cavaliers. I had to choose one Cleveland Cavalier to, to make one of these teams because of how well they played in Summer League. And while I do think for the most part it was a team effort for those guys, at the same time, Sam Merrill, through the three games he played in, he caught absolute fire 
from three-point range, right? So he averaged 18.7 points per game, four rebounds, two assists, but 49% from the field, 48% from three, and 83% from the line. Look, every single opportunity this guy got to shoot the ball, he was converting on all different types of shots, both on and off the ball. He was a, a microwave scorer, to say the least, but someone who did it certainly efficiently, and he was able to carry his team through certain stretches offensively along with someone like an Amani Bates, like a Craig Porter Jr., like a Sharif Cooper at times. Sam Mobley had some moments. This Cleveland Cavaliers team ended up being very deep from a summer league perspective, and they were very good on both sides of the ball to ultimately win a number of games and position themselves to maybe win a, a, a Las Vegas Summer League championship. But they wouldn't have gotten to this point through a few of those early games without Sam Merrill and, and his really hot shooting. And, and I get that he – He's not the the most traditional NBA player. I know he's gotten some time like the Milwaukee Bucks to prove himself, for example. But the way that this guy can create shots and shoot shots off the dribble, he deserves a chance to, to lock down some sort of rotation spot in the NBA. I don't know what team it will be with. I don't know if it will definitively be with Cleveland, but he deserves a better opportunity. I think he's going to get it after the summer league stretch that he put up. NBA teams were watching. They were noticing – uh, what Sam Merrill was doing on the floor. So so hats off to him. He made my second team take one more quick break. And when we come back, I will go through my third team as well as some honorable mentions. All right. And I am back. So NBA, Las Vegas, all summer league, third team. I mentioned on social media, Dare I put three Houston Rockets players on my all-summer league teams? And I think the answer had to be yes, especially when you watched Cam Whitmore's last two games in summer league, right? So he didn't get off to the most impressive stretch in those first two games playing alongside the likes of Jabari Smith and Tari Eason. But essentially after those two guys sat down, this guy was freaking awesome, right? So he ultimately averaged 19.3 points per game, six rebounds, two assists, three and a half steals per game. A lot of those deflections and turnovers created really came in, in his last two games. 45% from the field, only 26.7% from three-point range, 54% from the line. I get that the shooting didn't necessarily take great form either from mid-range or from three-point range at times during the summer league stretch, but quite literally every other facet of the game, I was impressed at times with what he brought to the table, right? He, he made some, some better passing reads. Uh, in, in some games than I initially anticipated. Does he still have some tunnel vision? Yes. Does he still have to work on that part of his game to excel in the NBA? Absolutely. But I saw some moments in which it certainly looked better than I was initially anticipating, given what he did or, or, or should I say didn't do for the Villanova team last year in college. But the the rim finishing, he took good shots. And, and took good lanes to get into the basket, took good shots when he got there, was able to convert on a lot of those looks, some of them even converted through contact, right? He is an absolute freight train getting downhill, whether it's in half court or operating in transition. He's getting more comfortable with his handle. He certainly had some times where he created some good shots off the bounce. He got good separation from his defender, and he created some good looks off the bounce. Just because they didn't go in doesn't mean I'm not going to value that in summer league because it's a developmental playground, right? I want to see what you're working on. I want to see where you're at in terms of actually pulling it off and, and doing it efficiently in an NBA game. It's not just about the mix or the misses. It's about the confidence and the development, where you're at and actually using that skill in an NBA game, I thought Cam Whitmore was showing a lot of the shot creation polish that we saw at times at Villanova. Just because the shots didn't go in doesn't mean 
that I don't think it's a positive development for you. Defensively, I thought he certainly ramped up his activity, especially in the last two games that, that I could talk about for the Houston Rockets, right? Playing passing lanes, right? Thinking a few steps ahead of what the opposing offense was doing. That That's something that really jumped out to me because, again, I didn't think he read the floor at all at a high level on either side of the ball at Villanova. He played really good on-ball defense at times, at Villanova, but he would absolutely have those lapses and stretches where he'd get lost away from the ball. I didn't see that as much for the Rockets during summer league and in, in the minutes and the activity that I saw. And then obviously he had some standout moments playing passing lanes and, and creating deflections and enforcing turnovers in those last two games. So again, the size, athleticism, potential shooting touch, his handle, his ability to create separation from defenders, his ability to finish at the basket. He can cover multiple positions. He can rebound. He can push the ball in the break. There are so many things that he can do at six foot eight with the strength, physicality, and athleticism, the speed that he has. It, it was clear to see why he rated out as a top five player on a lot of NBA draft boards, why he rated out as the fourth overall player on my draft board. And, and I get it. Even being picked at, at, at pick 20, it was seen as an excellent value pick for the Rockets, but it was also a pick in which they're contributing to that forward logjam that they have. Right. So we talked about how Dylan Brooks and Jabari Smith are probably the, the starting small forward and power forwards for the Rockets. Then you have Tar Eason, who I literally just got done talking about a few minutes ago about how he can be maybe a six man of the year candidate for the Houston Rockets. Right. So now you're going to throw can't win more into that mix. I don't know how much time they're going to spend in the G League. I don't know how much run they're going to try to find him in his rookie year for the Rockets, given what they likely want to accomplish, which is not being one of the worst teams in basketball. They want to actually make a, a playoff push now with signing Fred Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks, uh, bringing in someone like a Jock Landau. They want to make the playoffs. They want to be a significantly improved team, and they want to see growth from these young guys that ultimately leads to winning basketball not just highlight plays. So I don't know how much Kate Whitmore is going to play for the Rockets, but I wouldn't rule out that he does find his way into the rotation and he's able to, to wreak a little bit of havoc when he gets in there. So Cam Whitmore makes my third team. Dominic Barlow for the San Antonio Spurs ultimately got my Spurs nod in these all summer league teams. I could have easily went with Malachi Brandon because of the scoring pop that he showed in multiple situations, but that one for 17 from the field game he had against uh, the, the Portland Trailblazers, that did not sit well in particular with me. But there was a guy who was consistent across every single summer league game that his team played. That was Dominic Barlow for the Spurs, right? 17 points per game across four games, 8.3 rebounds, two assists, a block, 62.5% from the field. What didn't Dominic Barlow do? for the Spurs other than shoot the ball from outside, right? Didn't attempt any threes, didn't make that a part of his game, didn't want to make it a part of his game, but the mid-range touch that he showed, right? Operating from the elbows, setting good screens, operating out of the short roll, being a guy who you can turn to in the post and then he can turn fade over either shoulder. What Dominic Barlow showed from an offensive standpoint as a shot maker, was very reminiscent. I talked about this on, on the last Draft Deeper podcast with Maxwell, but very reminiscent of, of what I would see from a young Nikola Vucevic before he extended his range out beyond the three-point line. Like, this guy was so impressive from a skilled shot-making standpoint in summer league. You actually saw a number of these improvements and developments in his game if you paid attention to what he was doing down in Austin with, with the Spurs G League team, right? And, and now you're seeing this come to play at another level in summer league 
Dominic Barlow, to me, what he brings from a rebounding standpoint, from an energy standpoint, how mobile he is defensively, how much ground he can cover, how he he's not an, an ultimate liability. If you're playing him in, in a switch scheme, you don't want him switching every single possession, but he's not barbecue chicken out there. He can protect the rim a little bit better than I think he was initially given credit for. And just the, the scoring touch he's been able to show now across the G League and, and in Summer League. I mean, this was another undrafted guy, right? He was an unproven product, quote-unquote, coming out of overtime elite and, and wasn't given credit for some of the flashes he showed down in Atlanta with the overtime elite program. Yet he's worked his tail off, right? He's embraced the grind of the G league and he's shown legitimate improvement across a number of areas to where he's going to look like a shrewd signing for, for the San Antonio Spurs team. I, I think they're still trying to finalize a contract for him. I'm not hundred percent on all the details there. I thought they extended like a, like a qualifying offer to him. But whether it's the Spurs or another team, somebody's going to sign this guy. They're going to get great value out of him off the bench compared to what his contract's going to dictate that he's paid. And an NBA team's going to look really smart for doing so. And I think at this point, I'd be surprised to see him anywhere else but San Antonio. Nevertheless, Dominic Barlow is certainly another one of these undrafted gems who has a lot of room to develop some of his skills in the future, right? If he's, if he's with the San Antonio Spurs organization, I could see him playing along somewhat like a Victor Wembanyama, right? Because of how they both can space the floor. They can play from the high post, the low post. They can pass to one another. Dominic Barlow is one of these guys who he's not your more traditional big men, right? Like he's not the, the, the perfect comp to Vucevic because he's about 40 pounds lighter than Nikola Vucevic, but he, he is really strong. He's still adding to his frame. He's very comfortable banging down low against some of these other proper big men that we see in the NBA. So why can't he play alongside some of these other front court players that the Spurs already have, like a, like a Victor, like a Jeremy Sohan? Why can't he play sort of like this, this dual forward type role next to a Zach Collins, who, who's probably going to get some really good playing time with the Spurs this year? Like, why can't they find ways to utilize him in the lineup and, and keep him long term? So I had Dominic Barlow as a call out. Leonard Miller for the Minnesota, for the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm still not sure how he fell to, to where he did in the second round of the draft. I had a lottery grade on him. I believe I had him 14th on my board. Look, I get it if someone said don't overreact purely to what he's done in Summer League, which has put up 15.4 points per game, eight rebounds, almost two assists, a steal, 45% from the field, 37% from the three-point range, 86% from the line. I would get if someone said don't overreact purely to what he did in Summer League. But watching his tape, with G League Ignite, having conversations that I did with, with guys like Coop Jenner, who, who was certainly a, a big member of the Ignite program last year, head coach Jason Hart, and how much he talked about. Leonard Miller is someone who embraced the new role and certainly so showed improvement within that role. I felt compelled to have a lottery grade on him on my personal board. And, and after a lot of people have gotten to watch him in summer league competition, it seems like a lot of people feel the same way, right? Like they want to rate him as a potential lottery player in a redraft and i know it's it's way too early to even have those types of conversations we're only talking about summer league basketball but leonard showed everything i wanted him to show in summer league right he showed that the size the hustle the motor the length the the defensive versatility the activity with the ball in his hands the rebounding he showed that all of that that popped on tape with ignite was legit and he's starting to show some improved shooting i get the jumper is not perfect. It's not ironed out. It can still be different from shot to shot, but the touch that a lot of people were talking about 
before he got to the NBA, especially some of the touch improvements he showed last year along the baseline in certain mid-range pull-ups and floaters, some of the shots that he was able to get to in the paint, and then he was able to make some of his threes. The touch is legit. The touch is there. And I think the jump shot's ultimately going to be there for him, and he's already started to make some good progress off of even what he showed in the G League from a perimeter perspective. But again, even outside of the perimeter shooting, which was 37% on a good amount of attempts, I think almost four per game from three-point range, the free throw shooting was there. And then again, everything that he was able to control. What you can't control on a possession-to-possession basis is what happens when the shot goes up, right? You can't control whether the ball goes into the basket. It can bounce around. It, 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 can, it can be blocked. It can go you know, off track. You, you can't necessarily fully control the result of when you take a shot or when you're looking to score the basketball. Or you can't necessarily control what the other team's going to do at all times. But what you can control is your attitude, your energy, your activity level, your approach. You can control all of those things. And few prospects in last year's class, in my opinion, actually excelled at doing all of those things from game to game, like Leonard Miller. He's a happy kid. He's eager. He wants to work. He wants to learn. I know he, he talked about that with Maxwell when Maxwell interviewed him for, for no ceilings this cycle. He's a good kid, got a great head on his shoulders, works really hard outside of the game, works really hard in the game, and he has all of the tools to succeed at the next level. I think Minnesota Timberwolves fans are going to be very happy with Leonard Miller moving forward after his summer league performance. Jaden Springer from the Philadelphia 76ers, another call out. I'm a little surprised he actually played as much as he did for the Sixers in, in summer league, right? He's coming off of a G League championship. He was the best player on that Delaware Bluecoats team. He didn't really have a lot to prove in my mind on this stage. I guess Nick Nurse just wanted to see him perform in this environment and get a better feel for him and how he can coach him next season with the 76ers. But Everything that he showed was a lot of what he was able to show in the G League last year, right? How he can bully his way to the basket, how he can create looks at the rim as well as in the mid-range, how he's improving as a live dribble passer, his multi-positional defensive versatility, the type of value that he can bring on that side of the ball. He is a jump shot, a consistent three-point shot away from having like an Avery Bradley arc to his career. That That is his best comp, I think. I had higher level comps for him coming out of college that I don't think those are going to ultimately play themselves out because it just doesn't seem like he's going to shoot the ball at a probably better than if he get if he gets to 34, 35% from three point range, I think I'd be very happy with that result given that he's sitting at anywhere from like probably 28 to 31% from three point range right now. If he develops to that around league average type mark from three on decent volume, I would be incredibly happy with that development. But nevertheless, what he can provide you in the short term outside of the perimeter shooting is a lot of what DeAnthony Melton already provides for the 76ers now, except Jaden Springer is younger. He's more athletic. He's stronger. So having that type of guard who can go out there, pick up multiple positions, provide value on that side of the ball, add in a little bit of live dribble playmaking, can play without the ball, cut to the basket, finish around the basket, run the floor in transition. Having another one of those types of guards essentially ensures that one or both of Tyrese Maxey and James Harden, and James Harden's back for the 76ers next year, they're always able to play with somebody like a Melton 
Horace Springer. And that just adds value to the backcourt, especially from a defensive standpoint when you're trying to put pressure at the point of attack and limit the amount of times that Joel Embiid actually has to come away from the basket and do something defensively because of how much effort, obviously, he puts in in protecting the rim, right, and, and stopping guys when they do get to the basket, but also what he does offensively, just the massive load that he carries on his shoulders. You want to be able to limit penetration so that he doesn't have to come away from the basket and contest shots in the mid-range or come out to these guys or do this or do that. You want guys like Springer and Melton who can defend at the point of attack and, and even switch and, and operate in those types of schemes, guard multiple positions. So Springer showed all of that value in summer league. He looks like he's really picking up some of the passing things. He's creating better shots. He's getting to the rim more frequently. He's weaponizing his dribble much better. So you're seeing all that improvement in summer league, similar to what we saw in the G league. I just thought I saw enough of that in the G league last year for him to earn a, a rotation spot with the seventies this year. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe Nick nurse needed to see more, whatever the last, he still scored 22.3 points per game in Vegas, almost four rebounds, two assists, 2.7 steals, 1.3 blocks per game, 49% for the field, 79% for the line, and 31% from three-point range. He, he did it all for, for the 76er summer league team. I, I, I didn't need to see it, but it was great that he did it. And then finally, I could have went to a number of players off my honorable mentions to fill this last spot. And – I may be picked apart a little bit here for choosing an, an inefficient scorer slash shooter to fill my last spot on, on an all summer league team, but Lester Quinones did every single thing in his power to try and help the Golden State Warriors win a summer league game. Did they win a summer league game? No. Was this team bad? Yes. Did they get the results that they wanted? No, but I'm still contending that wasn't entirely his fault as outside of Gui Santos for a few games. I mean, Quinones seemed to be like the only guy who could consistently create his own shot for the perimeter and he put up 21.6 points per game, 4.6 rebounds, 5.2 assists, 1.2 steals, 37% from the field, like I talked about, 27% from three-point range, 83 from the line. So he was inefficient in high volume, but he, he took the shots that others couldn't on that summer league team. He did create plays for others when other guys couldn't. And, man, there were some games where he looked outright unstoppable, creating shots off the dribble, converting from three-point range. He really had some moments where he he looked like a Jordan Poole type of player out there for this Warriors summer league team. And if the Warriors were able to strike that type of gold off the bench and, and, and find a player like that again, I mean, that would be really awesome for them. He played on, on a deal with the Santa Cruz Warriors last year. We will see ultimately where he ends up. I don't think he has a two-way contract yet with the Warriors or, or an NBA team, we'll see what type of deal he can sign in the offseason. But nevertheless, I do think he's deserving of one. He's deserving of an, op of an opportunity because he's an electric, electric scorer, like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six guard. He knows what he's doing out there. He knows the type of shots he can get. His confidence has grown exponentially compared to what it was in Memphis as a shot maker. I think he can bring a lot to the table off a bench for an NBA team. Maybe it's deeper down the bench, that's fine, but every NBA team should want to have a guard like him who can create a shot out of nothing and who can step up and take and make shots that other players simply just can't on the floor in the backcourt. So plenty of honorable mentions. Not going to do breakdowns on them, but just want to run through some names really quick. Jalen Duran out of the Detroit Pistons looked really good in the few games that he played. Michael DeVoe for the Portland Trailblazers had some standout moments, scoring almost 20 points per game, shooting 64%. With three-point range, he had some good moments. Peyton Watson 
for the Denver Nuggets. Looked really aggressive in the two summer league games that he played. He was attacking the basket quite literally every single chance that he could get. He was all over the place defensively being a playmaker on that end. His teammate Jalen Pickett really held down the point guard position along with Colin Gillespie in that backcourt. They didn't really have the type of summer league success that I thought they would, but he stuffed the stat sheet from all over and shot the ball really well from the field. I 59 minutes into this podcast, I really didn't talk about Victor Wembanyama, but we know that in the two games he had one really stinker of a game, but then he had another standout performance. Ultimately his averages looked fine across both games, but really that second game, the 27 point performance he was he was sensational, averaging four blocks over two games. We, we know what he's going to do in the NBA. Don't have to spend a lot of time talking about him. I mentioned his teammate, Malachi Brandon, who was for some of the inefficiencies he showed in summer league. He certainly could have been on one of those all-summer league teams. He had some really fine moments as a scorer and a shooter. Jarris Walker from the Indiana Pacers, a rookie standout, did literally everything but shoot the basketball well from the perimeter or from mid-range. Right, average 14 points per game, uh, eight points per game, excuse me. Uh, 14 points, eight rebounds, three assists, one steal, one block. Did everything but shoot the ball well. Nevertheless, Jairus Walker deserves a call out. Bilal Koulibaly, my guy, 12 points per game, five rebounds, two assists, 2.3 blocks per game in Summer League. Again, another one of these guys who wasn't an effective scorer at times, didn't shoot the ball well, but you saw some of the upside just oozing out of him, the, the two-way potential that he has in the NBA for the Wizards as he's going to be able to develop. Uh, Kobe Brown for the Los Angeles Clippers, four games played. I really thought about having him as my last guy on the third team. And in hindsight, I probably should have put him there, but nevertheless, I didn't. Almost 18 points per game, nine rebounds, two assists. Really, his last few games with the Clippers were truly standout special Summer league performances, 45% from the field, 41 from three, 60 from the line. Sensational scoring outputs his last few games. Brandon Miller for the Charlotte Hornets wasn't the most perfect player, but when he was not on the floor, boy, did this team struggle to find consistent offense. And he only averaged 2.3 assists per game in the games that he played, but just because he didn't get assists doesn't mean he didn't keep the ball moving at a high level. He wasn't on the floor. This offense was really stagnant. It, it really struggled until like Nick Smith just went on an absolute heater run that he did across the last few games. Usman Jang played really well for the OKC Thunder, averaged 17, 6, and 5, and a steal, shooting nearly 60% from the field, 50% from three, 83 from the line. Another guy along with Kobe Brown, who I could have had in that third spot, he made my honorable mention, deserves a real shout-out. I'll be excited to see what kind of role he can have from the Thunder next season. Marjan Beauchamp for the Milwaukee Bucks showed out a few games, certainly was a two-way player for them, got even more comfortable as a pull-up scorer in the mid-range, didn't make a high number of threes, only shot 26% from the three-point line, but I still think he showed some more confidence. Kobe Bufkin had some nice moments for the Atlanta Hawks out there as a guard. Jalen Wilson helped the Brooklyn Nets win more games than I thought they would in summer league, and then Craig Porter Jr. for the Cleveland Cavaliers rounds out by honorable mentions. Boy, when, when Sharif Cooper went down and Craig Porter Jr. got some opportunity to run point for the Cleveland Cavaliers, he had some standout moments in the last few games as well. So those are my all Las Vegas NBA Summer League teams as well as my honorable mentions. Overall, I thought this Las Vegas Summer League was awesome. It, it has lost a little bit of its shine and polish over the last few days as, as certainly more names have exited the player pool 
on these summer league teams. But I thought really the first, you know, four or five days of summer league and even going back to the Utah and the California classic from start to finish, I thought there was some great basketball played. I thought there were some standout performances, the young talent that's either in the league or around it. The game of basketball is going to be in good hands for years to come. There's plenty of talent uh, either coming up the pipeline very much. So in rotations for these NBA teams, plenty of talent across the board. I'm so happy that I get to, to watch it and cover it and, and continue to discuss it with you, the audience for hopefully years to come in the basketball space. We get to watch all of these guys grow up and develop together, but that's going to do it for this episode of the draft deeper podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you are not subscribed to the no ceilings NBA podcast feed, wherever you can get your podcasts, Apple podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, make sure you're checking that out. Yeah, absolutely. Our YouTube channel, Go ahead, subscribe there. No Ceilings NBA for all of your video content needs, whether it's highlights, interviews, podcasts, wherever you need. We've got it over at No Ceilings NBA YouTube. NoCeilingsNBA.com, the Substack. You know what you're getting there. Written content about the NBA draft, you know, reactions to events like this every Monday through Friday in your inbox. We slow down a little bit during the summertime to, to give ourselves a little bit of a, a break, a little bit of opportunity to catch up on other things outside of hoops. But you know during the NBA draft cycle, it's Monday through Friday, even some Sundays. It's it's every day. We're always pumping out content for you guys to consume because we love our audience. We love everyone who shows us support, listens to the podcast, reads our work. Can't thank you enough for another successful draft cycle as well as another successful summer league cycle. I truly appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. So until we meet again on this podcast feed, thank you all so much for listening, and I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.